I was at a birthday party for my sister-in-law the first time I cried when someone else received a gift. Since she is a great lover of books and an eighth grade teacher, it was the most appropriate present. The full boxed set of the Laura Ingalls Wilder, A Little House on the Prairie series. Everyone oohed and odd. I was the only one who cried. It was with a heart overflowing with appreciation for those stories that I turned to her and said, oh my God, I loved those books. And I really did. I read on the banks of Plum Creek maybe four times. I read these happy golden years maybe six. I consider Almanzo on the short list for potential baby names, and I went as Laura for Halloween when I was eight. She was my hero. She was my hero with good reason. So many parts of her stories fed my early feminist spirit. Her journey captured a kind of freedom and wildness for young girls that spoke to a part of me I didn't see in the books of Gary Paulson and Jack London, which featured strapping young men braving the wild. Laura had streaks of toughness and self-sufficiency, a love of adventure, and a commitment to her family that has inspired countless other young girls. Girls who long to see their futures as self-determined. The books were also brimming with descriptions of process that made for moments of meditative instruction. Making hay, setting up camp, sewing a dress. And her experiences made nature into all things. Best friend, enemy, comforter, prankster, punisher, and gift giver. And the series was educational character building. Even in the short excerpt from today's reading, we learn about humility and dignity in Laura's insistence that what's good enough for us is good enough for anyone. We learn to appreciate the advances of modern medicine, making scarlet fever a thing of the past. We learn about the dedication of sisters, how Laura's role must shift to become the eyes of Mary, describing the world around her in rich detail. And we get an insight into the frontiersman mentality about what constitutes good hunting, about pushing west, about taking advantage of all that Uncle Sam has to offer. The series remains a time capsule in the truest sense. Each novel preserves a specific cultural moment in history so finely wrought one feels transported. Wilder herself remarked during a speech at a Detroit book fair in 1937 that she had, quote, come to understand that my own life represented a whole period of American history. But the period of American history so encapsulated includes stark examples of racism and xenophobia that are so expected of the time we forget their implication for today's reader. References to half-breeds were common, the kind of animalistic descriptions reserved for domesticated pets and livestock. There's an oft-repeated refrain of the only good Indian is a dead Indian, a casual remark which underscores the idea that Indians lurk in the dark of the night, an ever-present villainous ruin to the heroic endeavors of the white Ingalls family. And so in June, when the Association for Library Services to Children announced that they were renaming the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award the Children's Literary Legacy Award, they did so out of genuine and authentic concern for the ways in which an award with the Wilder name valorized such characterizations. For in that push for westward expansion, 
in the insistence of Laura's father to move west and take up the 160 acres that were offered by the Homestead Act of 1892, Wilder elided the truth of what that meant for the millions of people already living there. The 160 acres wasn't the government's to give, and it wasn't the Ingalls to claim, to farm, to till, and to build. Their homesteading was an invasion predicated on broken treaties and violent policies towards Native Americans. In the press release announcing the renaming of the award, the ALSC noted that, quote, Laura Ingalls Wilder's books have been and will continue to be deeply meaningful to many readers. Although Wilder's work holds a significant place in the history of children's literature and continues to be read today, ALSC has had to grapple with the inconsistency between Wilder's legacy and its core values of inclusiveness, integrity, and respect. And so, I meant what I said when I stated that Laura Ingalls Wilder was my hero. The past tense, maybe you caught it. Heroes are precarious things. They require a white-knuckle grip in order to survive the passage of time. For Laura Ingalls Wilder, I have loosened my grip. Because I am also grappling with inconsistencies between my own Unitarian Universalist values and the people I look to as paragons. The grappling is made all the more complex simply by the fact that when I remember her, when I cherish all that I felt inside when I read those stories, I don't remember the descriptions of Native Americans. I don't remember the disparaging remarks about African Americans or references to minstrel shows. I had to look those up. I remembered the parts that made me feel alive, that spoke to me. And that's the tricky thing about privilege. It's myopic. The same novels that have made me feel affirmed have in them the capacity to diminish someone else. The same words that built me up have the power to gloss over someone else's dignity, to eradicate their story, their triumphs, their legacy of resilience. Because the truth is, as a young white person in Concord, I didn't read these novels and squirm, but I bet any native child would. I bet any black or brown child would. And in a showing of solidarity, in a recognition that we cannot be free until we all are free, we grapple with inconsistencies. We loosen our white-knuckle grip on history. And we release the tension in our hands that clings to the status quo, the parts of history that we insist upon, despite knowing that history is a slippery, subjective form. In unclenching our fists on the narratives that we grew up on, we embrace humility and the possibility that what was good for us can be damaging to someone else. We accept that change is inevitable, that the gods of our lives may have been the devils for others. And we open our hearts to reimagining how former idols fit into our story now. To be sure, Steinbeck makes an excellent point that the initial realization invites panic and terror. We've invested a lot in our personal mythologies. They are where we turn to for comfort when we falter. 
but to stay in the moment of panic at the realization that our heroes are in fact human is to forget our own religious roots. Christ was not God, and God was not Christ. We prefer fallibility. Wilder's mistakes shouldn't invite wholesale dismissal. We can still parse out that which is worthy of adulation. In a time when uncritical condemnation prevails over nuanced consideration, it becomes all the more important to loosen our grip on our heroes because it suggests we are capable of holding on to multiple truths at once. Laura Ingalls Wilder is not all good, and she's not all bad. What could be a more Unitarian Universalist notion than that? The Christian ethicist Diedrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Uncritical condemnation invites tossing people aside as if they only exist to serve us if they are good, as as if they only have purpose if they are worthy of praise. If we truly embody the radical, loving ethos of the first principle, we will not dispose of our fallen heroes. We will not cast aside the adults who have fallen from their pedestals. We will assemble the shattered pieces and carefully, with love and intentionality, put them back together. And in that process of reintegration, we might learn more about ourselves, about what it is to fail, about what it is to be bound by the context of our present moment and to teach future generations about growth, about letting things change, about releasing the grip on history so that stories continue to be told but their kernel of truth evolves. A looser grip on past heroes means we are undertaking the vitally important process of re-evaluation. And reevaluation should be a spiritual practice that we undertake. Reevaluation is where humility is put into practice. It breathes new life into all things, and especially into people. Just as we loosen our grip on heroes and historical narratives, so too should we loosen the grips we have on those who sit and stand shoulder to shoulder with us in the pews, on the sidewalk and in our homes. This lesson can even be applied to the person standing before you in the pulpit right now. This is the part of the sermon where I talk about myself. (laughs) As I look out at the faces in this crowd, there are so many that I know and love. There are so many that have looked back on me through every phase of my life to this point. You are members of my home congregation, my home church, my home You knew me as a child, overly articulate and a little anxious for the spotlight. You knew me as an adolescent, awkward and a little brash. You knew me as a young adult, radical and at loose ends. But I am more than the sum of these parts. The history of how you knew me don't hold fast to that image. A testament to our third principle of acceptance and encouragement of spiritual growth, I stand before you as a candidate of ministry. I'm in this pulpit as your minister, not as your child, nor your babysitter, nor your secret pal. If you hold fast to the way you knew me then, 
If you white-knuckle the grip on my story, you'll lose the opportunity to learn from me now, as I am today, and all that I have evolved into being. The same can be said for each of you. The same can be said for each of you. We should afford ourselves the same space to evolve that we extend to our heroes. Do not allow others to limit your growth. Do not allow others to grip your image so tight that you cannot rest an inch of space from which to transform. Insist on a lighter touch. We are each works in progress. We are each desiring of growth and change. At least that's part of the theory of why we show up here on Sundays, particularly Sundays in late July. And this is the secret of mutuality. When we allow others to grow, when we release our grip on their histories, we too grow. We too are transformed. By letting change occur, by releasing our own investment in the status quo, we take a step toward greater sensitivity, greater sincerity, and greater serenity. Amen.